Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. They are called the rules for the road. Basically, there are ten of them, kind of like the Ten Commandments, that if you keep at least these ten rules for the road, it means that you're going to be safe, and if those around you are observing them, they will be safe, and you're going to arrive where you're going and enjoy the journey. But, you know, there are some rules to the road that don't make a lot of sense. They're rather peculiar. Some are actually still on the books in some of the states here in the U.S. Some have since uh, gone away. None are really taken seriously or enforced. For example, in Little Rock, Arkansas, one of the rules of the road is you cannot drive down the road after 9 p.m. and honk your horn in front of an establishment that serves sandwiches or cold drinks. Now, how you would even know that, I don't know. Or uh, take, for instance, Waynesboro, Virginia. There was a rule of the road there that women could not drive down Main Street unless their husband or a man was walking in front of the car waving a red flag, which sounds very dangerous. He might get run over. Or how about right here in Minnesota? There is a rule in the book that says you may not cross state lines with a duck on your head. I guess it's okay to have a chicken on your head, but you may not have a duck on your head. I don't know why that rule is there. Or how about Tennessee? In Tennessee, it is illegal to shoot at any animal while riding in your car, unless it's a whale. So if you are riding in your car in Tennessee and you see a whale on the side of the road, you can go ahead and shoot it. Now, this last one is from San Francisco, and it's not really a, a rule of the road, but I just thought it was rather interesting. There is a law in San Francisco that if you own a car wash, you are not allowed to wash cars with used underwear. All right, that's enough of these peculiar and odd rules. You're probably wondering, where are you going with that? Well, when Jesus and the disciples were crisscrossing Israel, and they would have walked thousands of miles in their lifetime, there were no real rules of the road, so to speak, because everybody pretty much walked, I guess, unless you rode a camel or a donkey or a horse. And so you didn't have to have a driver's license or hang a license plate around your neck. And there were no tests that you had to take. And 
really no signpost telling you what the speed limit was. But what's really interesting is that Jesus did have some rules for the road. Rules for the road that some people found very, very peculiar and odd. And rules that kind of kept them from following Jesus because they just saw them as being really irrelevant. But Jesus gives us these rules to the road, so to speak, of following him for our own benefit and for the benefit of others. That if we keep and observe these rules, these guidelines, it'll ensure a safe journey all the way home. So let's discover what they are because we're at that point in our series where we've got to stop talking and start moving, and we're about to start moving with Jesus. I want to welcome you all to our sermon series called From Head to Leb. That is, how do I go from just knowing about God to truly knowing him with all my heart? The Hebrew word leb is for heart, the soul. We are in season two. Season one, we talked about beginnings. Season two, we're talking about invitation. In our first episode of season two, we said Jesus has invited us to a new identity. Now, this weekend, he invites us to leave it all behind and start the journey with him. So I want to look at what these road rules are. They're inferred in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 36. Now, it's kind of a longer passage of Scripture, so I'm not going to have it on the screen. So if you want to grab your Bibles or turn them on, you can follow along. I'll start reading John chapter 1, verse 36. As Jesus walked by... John looked at him and declared, Look, the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, the two disciples are John the Beloved and Andrew, his brother. Verse 38, Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked. They replied, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon And they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now there is a genuine man of Israel, a son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. In the old English, a man without guile. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked Jesus. Jesus replied, I can see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. 
Then he said, I'll tell you the truth. You will see, all of you will see, heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. All right? Inferred in those verses are several rules for the road. Here is the first Jesus rule for the road, and that is that following Jesus is an invitation-only experience. It's an invitation-only experience. Jesus says, come and see to John and to Andrew. He says to Philip, come and follow me. Later on, he says to them, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You can't just sign up and say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I'm accepting you. He's the God who created this world. You don't make him your assistant. You don't say, I'll drive, and you sit on the passenger side. In fact, if you read the Gospels carefully, and we'll see it as we go through the Gospel of John, Jesus is kind of hard on people who try to volunteer to follow him. At the end of Luke chapter 9, there is this guy that shows up and he kind of volunteers and he says to Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds to him and he says to him, you know, foxes have their dens, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, what Jesus was saying to him is, you know, you're, you're signing up for something that you don't really understand what is involved. It is costly to follow me. If you follow me, you're going to end up with a rock for a pillow. Now, we're not told what happens to this guy. And I just wonder if at that point he accepted Jesus' invitation. Or at that point, if he kind of shrugged his shoulders and decided, <laughs> I don't need a rock for the pillow. I didn't realize that following you is going to be so intense and involve all those things. Why was Jesus kind of hard on volunteers who wanted to follow him that way? It's really interesting in John chapter 2, there's a couple of verses that give us insight into Jesus' insight into people's hearts and lives then and now. Here's what it says. Because the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Like each person's leb. He knew what was in there. He knows what's in yours and what's in mine as well. Well, what's in our hearts? Well, same thing that existed in the hearts of people back then. You know, some people were interested in following Jesus because, because it was a popular thing to do at that time. Others wanted to follow him because they wanted to see more miracles, more signs, and more wonders. Others wanted to follow Jesus because they're hoping to get some position, some power, some wisdom out of it, some recognition. Some wanted to follow Jesus just to prove that they were right in their view of what it means to know God and have eternal life. A lot of people came to Jesus with the wrong reasons, and I'm sorry to say that people still do that today. You know, our culture is all about this idea of celebrityism. I mean, anybody can be a celebrity on YouTube or Facebook or TikTok or, you know, whatever it is. 
however you put yourself out there. And the idea is to get, you know, kind of people to like us and want us and be around us. And, you know, there are some people that honestly, I mean, they're interested in God. They're interested in the church because, well, it's cool. You know, I, I go to this cool church. They've got cool music. They've got cool lights, cool production. The staff dresses cool. The pastor brings cool messages. He wears cool tennis shoes, and he's got the coolest fashion, the best outfits. And, and you know, Justin Bieber goes there. Nothing against him. It's a whole idea that, you know, it's the place to be. They go for the cool, and they don't go for Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. Let me ask you this question. Here it is. Jesus says, if you follow me, you may end up with a rock for a pillow. Do you still want to follow Jesus? Knowing it could mean you get a rock for a pillow. That is, it can mean suffering. It can mean some real challenges or difficulties in your life to truly follow him. Rule number one, all right? Jesus rule number two for the road. Following Jesus means Jesus only. Jesus only. It, it does not include following anybody else. It means all the focus is on him and him alone. When I uh, was learning how to drive, my dad would annoy me every time uh, he was in the car with me with this little mantra that he would say over and over again. He would say to me, keep both eyes on the road and both hands on the wheel. And if I somehow, you know, kind of went to one hand it, he goes, ah, ah, both hands on the wheel. If I kind of looked over to look at a sign or somebody, ah, ah, both eyes on the road. I can't tell you how many times I heard both eyes on the road, both hands on the wheel, both eyes on the road, both hands on the wheel. But you know something? That was some of the best advice I had ever been given. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but most accidents are caused because of distractions, like texting or people we see or things you know, we're thinking about. We get distracted, and the next thing you know, we're on a collision course with something or with someone. We live in an age and a day when there are so many distractions from Jesus. I, I came across a statistic that just baffles me. It was done by Probe Ministries. It is estimated that 70% of those who claim to be born-again Christians in America, 70%, believe that there's more than just one way that, to heaven. That is, they believe that you can get to heaven, so to speak, by more than just Jesus. My goodness. If that's true, then whoever's calling themselves a born-again Christian, I question whether they're truly born again or not. And secondly, that's a, I mean, what is distracting their thoughts? We live in a culture and a society today where, where people just drift. They just drift with whatever the current of thought is. You know, we're, we're told to be courageous and, and just believe what we feel. You know, come up with our own truth. And we're like these balloons that are just drifting everywhere, which reminds me of an incident that happened several years ago now. It involved a guy by the name of Larry Walters. He was born in 1949. And Larry had always wanted to be a pilot in the United States Air Force. But because of poor eyesight, he couldn't do that. And so he became a, a truck driver, which is also a noble profession. But he still had this dream to fly. And so one day he decided to take matters into his own hands. Do you, do you know the story? Uh, he 
got out his aluminum lawn chair, which he christened Inspiration One, and he, with the help of his then-girlfriend, tied 41 helium-filled weather balloons to it, anchored it down, put a parachute on. To my knowledge, he never used a parachute before. Packed a few sandwiches, a bottle of soda, and a, a CB radio, and a pellet gun. Now, his idea was that his girlfriend would kind of release Inspiration One. He'd ascend up into the air a little ways, and then he was going to drift over to the Mojave Desert. He would use his pellet gun to shoot out the balloons to then gradually descend again. Well, when she released the chair, he certainly did ascend. Lawn Chair Larry ascended to 16,000 feet at his highest altitude. I don't know how he could breathe. So he's up at 16,000 feet, and instead of drifting toward the Mojave Desert, he drifted into LAX airspace. He got very nervous. He got out a CB radio. He contacted air traffic control and said there was a little problem that he was in the area. Get this, there were a couple of commercial airliners that saw him and also told air traffic control, can you imagine sitting in the cockpit of that airliner, and you look out the window, and this is what you see? There's Larry flying. <laughs> I mean, talk about freaking out, right? To see something like that. Well, eventually, Larry decided, I got to get out of here. And he started shooting the balloons with a pellet gun and began descending until finally he arrived safely on Earth. But not before his balloons became tangled up in some power lines in Long Beach, California, causing a 20-minute power outage in the area. And so when Launcher Larry finally landed, there was quite a party ready to greet him. He had some major splaining that he had to do. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because it is so ridiculous to think about it, right? And yet it is so ridiculous when you think about how people are just inflating their balloons with all kinds of ideas and philosophies. I read another statistic that says that 42% of Americans, period, Christian or non-Christian, atheists, 42% of Americans believe in the paranormal, believe in ghosts. But they don't believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in God. But they'll believe in other unseen powers. Folks, we have a sky filled with people drifting and floating with all kinds of philosophies and ideas and attitudes. And it's, it's just leading to chaos and collision. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it has to be me and me alone. I have to be the one that you set your mark, your compass by. So let me ask you this question. Who or what is setting the course that your life is following right now? And for those of you who are parents or grandparents, who or what is setting the course for the life that your kids are choosing to live, for the direction that they are following in their lives as well. All right? Here we go. Jesus, road rule number three, following Jesus requires a restructuring of your life. If you think about the disciples, their lives were never the same again. And the reason why is because Jesus changed their priorities. Like for those of the men who were fishers of fish, he said, you're going to become fishers of men, which meant 
a whole new set of priorities for them. For Levi, the tax collector, it was a whole new set of priorities. <laughs> for Judas, it was a whole new set of priorities. And of course, he couldn't, he couldn't bring himself to follow Jesus. He followed the money, and it led to the destruction of his own life. But if you encounter Jesus, he's going to change your priorities. He's going to restructure your life. Because when you go with Jesus, he's going to take you places that you might not otherwise ever go. You know, some people are, are, you know, they'll say, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to follow Jesus because he may ask me to do something I don't want to do. I love what Tim Keller says. That's absolutely right. He is going to ask you to do some things that you would not prefer to do or that you find difficult or challenging. That's what it means to follow him. Jesus goes. Look where he goes. He goes to the least of these. He goes to the hurting, the broken, the poor, the sick, the forgotten, the disenfranchised, the abused. He goes to children. He goes to women. And I have no context in Scripture that tells me that since then Jesus has stopped going those places. We are the body of Christ, so that means if we're really going to follow him, he's going to take us into some of those places. And that's one of the reasons why I love Wooddale Church so much, this church that I serve. Because you all, many of you have been willing to go into those difficult places. Some of you have physically, literally gone to those places. But so many of you have gone there with your resources. We're getting ready to wrap up what we call Vision 22. We started in 2015. It's about ready to end. And it was a vision of hope. It was a vision where I challenged you and I challenged myself to go with God into some of the hardest places in the world and make a difference. I want you to know that because of God's generosity through you, your willingness to go, so to speak, we have planted over 13,000 churches, even with COVID involved, in some of the hardest places in the world where less than 1% of the population knows about Jesus. We've seen 230,000, these are conservative numbers, 230,000 people come to faith in Christ because of those efforts. We've seen Nearly 2,000 orphans and widows and girls in sex trafficking rescued and saved and provided for and cared for in their villages. We have shared the hope of the gospel with over 1.6 million people in the last seven years, here, near, and far. How many have received Christ? That's up to the Lord. But we've been responsible to get that message out here, near, and far. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being willing to let God restructure your priorities, your finances, to make that happen. Now that Vision 22 is coming to an end and it's several different iterations that we've had, you know something we can't give up. We're getting ready to launch now into another three-year period, into what we call legacy of hope. There's so much more that needs to be done here. How do we prepare our parents and students for what's coming in this world, what they're facing now? How do we spread the influence of the gospel nearby? And how, listen, how do we reach more people for Christ in countries where it is so hard? Do you know there are 300,000 villages in Nepal and India that still don't have a church or a gospel witness? I was thinking to myself, what would happen if Wooddale owned 10% of that in the next 10 years? Wouldn't that be amazing if we could plant 30,000 churches in the next 10 years? It's audacious. It's exponential. But God is able. 
are you with me? Would you, would you start out these next three years with me? We'll be telling you more, more about those exciting things. One of the rules of the road is he will restructure your life. How has he restructured your life? All right, let's look at another one. Jesus road rule number four. Following Jesus means leaving it all behind and surrendering completely. That's what surrender means. Completely to him. No, no holds, right? I don't, I don't keep anything to myself. I'm leaving it all behind. And I'm going with him. Which means I have to go with an attitude of open hands. That in essence says, Lord, here's my life. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there to you. Take it, use it however you want. And living that way, not living this way, which is really hard in our country. We want to live this way. <clears throat> the Lord says live this way. In fact, maybe right where you are right now in your home or at one of our multi-sites or our microchurch, wherever you are in the world right now joining me, would you be willing to just kind of open your hands up and say, this is, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is how I want to live towards God. You know, Lord may never call you away from your family physically. He may not call you away from your job or from your location or from your home. But he wants you to live this way. He wants you to be ready at any moment for him to use in any way. And that needs to become kind of like our daily habit. I uh, did some study on uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, when I was going to seminary. Did some research on his life and I came across an interview that a guy by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman had with William Booth, and he asked William Booth a question. He said, you know, what, what would you attribute your success to in the founding and establishment of the Salvation Army? And Booth was a very humble man, and he struggled to answer. He's rather nervous, and he got some tears in his eyes, and I want to read to you what he said. He said, I will tell you the secret to the success of Salvation Army and William Booth. He says, the secret is that God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do for them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth that there was. And Chapman wrote, I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a woman's power is the measure of her surrender. The greatness of a young person's power is the measure of their surrenderedness. And so I wrote down this idea, to the degree that you and I surrender ourselves to Jesus, you will experience his presence and power at work in and through you. Do you want to experience the presence and power of God working in and through you? Surrender. Do we want to be a community of believers here, near, and far that are experiencing the power of God at work in us and through us? Then surrender everything completely and totally to him. Let's look at another rule of the road that Jesus has for us. Number five, Jesus' road rules. Jesus invites his followers to invite others to become his followers with them. So the whole principle here is disciples who make disciples who make 
disciples. I love the text. You know, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says to John and Andrew, there he is, follow him. And they start following. Jesus sees them and he says, uh, what do you guys want? Where are you staying, Lord? Come and see, he says. He turns it into an invitation. He finds Philip. He says, hey, come, follow me. Andrew goes and finds his brother and invites them to come, uh, him to come. And Philip finds Nathaniel and invites him to come. And what we get out of this is that, is that God actually calls us to partner with him and gives us the privilege and the power to be able to go and invite others to join us as we join Jesus on the journey. He gives us the capacity to invite others to experience the power and presence of God. I also, when I look at this passage of Scripture, I realize that these guys are enthusiastic about Jesus. <laughs> They're excited to invite their friends to follow Jesus. They don't show up and kind of, you know, put their hands in their pockets if they had pockets and say, well, you know, I'm following this guy named Jesus, and you probably don't want to follow him either. It's not real easy, but, well, I don't know if you're interested. Come and join me. And it wasn't anything like that. They were excited. This is the Messiah. We're, we've encountered the one that prophets and Moses wrote about. You've got to join us on the journey. What are you excited about in your life? That the enthusiasm of it is enough to cause you to say to somebody, join me. It doesn't have to be church. It doesn't have to be to a Bible study. But just asking them to join you in life. Who are your adopt seven? Who are those people that you know that may not know Jesus, that you could just invite them into your life so they can begin to experience what it means to be around a person who's excited about God. I remember many, many years ago when we were living in California, I received this tremendous invitation. Um, we were near Alameda Naval Air Station and, and uh, base, and oftentimes the big ships, even the carriers, would come in there. And at that time, the USS Abraham Lincoln was a new carrier, and one of the sailors on that uh, attended our church whenever they were in port. And so I don't know if they still do this or not, but they had a day that they would set aside each year uh, for the sailors to invite their families to join them on the carrier, in this instance, go out to sea, and there would be an air show, planes landing and taking off the deck of the ship. Well, he had no family around, so he asked me if I would like to be his family, and he gave me three more invites I could bring anybody else along that I wanted. I was so excited. Man, I had these invites. I was going. I took my son with me, Ben, and I invited my two neighbors who I was trying to engage with the gospel and the hope of Christ. They were so excited. And so we left that day. We boarded the ship. Helicopters led us out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, it was a life, once-in-a-lifetime experience. We went 60 miles out to sea off the Monterey Peninsula. And then the rule was, wherever the person, you know, that was your family was stationed on the ship, that's where you were for the air show. So if you were below deck, you stood on the deck. Well, the guy we were with was on the bridge, so we had this fantastic view. I mean, we could see the jets coming in, dropping the tail hook, landing, and then catapulting off the ship and circling around. It was a phenomenal day. And afterwards, we went to Acapulco Mexican Restaurant in Alameda, one of my favorite places. We had, we had uh, dinner together, and it was... I tell you, it just brought us closer together. It was so fun to share that experience with them. It was exciting. What excites you? You don't have to go right to the gospel. Invite somebody over for a meal. 
Take somebody out. Go to a game together. What is it that excites you that would be so easy for you to say to somebody, why don't you join me? Let's go fishing. Let's go hunting, whatever it is. And just do life together. Let that open the door then as they watch you journey with Jesus to infect them with that same hope that Christ brings. You know, people in our world today need to see a church that's not dour. It doesn't look like we're all sucking on sour persimmons. It doesn't look like we're discouraged and and angry at the culture. They need to see a church where in the midst of all the confusion and disgruntledness, they see people who are excited about God, excited about life, because we have a Savior who is real and true. All right, let's look at one more. Jesus wrote rule number six. If you follow me, it will be the greatest adventure of your life. And it is. It is. I love it in the story when, when um, Philip invites Nathaniel to come. And he talks about Jesus being from Nazareth. And, Philip, and Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Nobody, you know, whoever came from Nazareth that had any importance in the Old Testament, right? So he says, all right, I'll go. Because Philip says, well, listen, just come and see. And as he shows up, you know, Jesus says to him, ah, an Israelite, a son of Israel, in whom there's no guile, there's no trickery, there's no deceit, like Jacob, who, who, by the way, gets his name changed to Israel when he gets over his deceptive ways. And uh, Jesus says, I saw you sitting, you know, under the, under the fig tree. And Nathaniel does one of these things like, do I, do I know you? And then when he tells him, I saw you under the fig tree, he goes, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, in essence says to him, if you think that's pretty amazing, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then Jesus says this to him, remember? He says, I tell you the truth, you will see, you will all see, so he talked to all the disciples, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. What does that mean? That's mysterious, isn't it? Actually, Jesus is reaching back to an episode in Jacob's life. In the Old Testament, when he's on the run from his brother and he's on his way to Haran, and he stops and he camps out at night and incidentally he pulls up a rock for a pillow. It says that. And he has this dream. And there's this ladder coming down from heaven. And at the top above is the Lord. And the Lord says, you know what I said to Abraham? What I said to your dad, Isaac, I'm saying to you, I'm going to bless all the world through your family. I'm giving you this land. And at the end of it, at the end of it, Jacob goes, oh my goodness, I was just, I I camped out at the very entrance, at the very gate, at the very portal of heaven. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the portal of heaven? What he means is, if you Come, follow me. If you leave everything behind and follow me, you are going to experience a supernatural adventure. What is that adventure? It starts next weekend, so don't miss it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that uh, you've invited us on this journey. Thank you so much for your rules of the road, which are great, which are exciting which are challenging, which we want to live our lives by. And Lord, uh, next weekend, 
you're going to invite us into something pretty supernatural that I pray will capture our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I'll see you next weekend.